Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. I was watching some things afar. My name's Eric. With me is my co-host, who was actually at event, Robert. Wait a minute, I'm still alive? What? Yeah. So yeah, Robert literally got back uh, yesterday uh, evening, and he is here to tell us the, the boots-on-the-ground perspective. I'll be talking about how it looked like to be the guy in the chair from afar. But yes, the 2021-22 season has come to a close, and LVO, in terms of hype and uh, excitement, in terms of who would win, as like we talked about in our last episode, did not disappoint. So really came down to a real nail-biter. Let's get right into it before we get into some of the grimy details. So if you remember, uh, your top five involved uh, Manny Chima, Sean Naden, John Lennon, and Brad Chester. And then way back down in 28th place, there was this guy, Richard Siegler, who made a name winning several of the uh, GW DT events. But of course, like we said, he doesn't have all six events yet. So every point he earned today at LVO would count towards his overall standings. Hmm. Would that have played in a factor? Let's fast forward real fast here. So when you get to the way it works here at LVO, if you don't remember, there are so many players. What they do is they do six rounds. And then if they do, they take the top eight. And if they have more than eight undefeated players, they do what's called a shadow round, which is basically uh, just those people are paired together. And um, the top eight players from that round move on to day three of the event, playing a three-round event. Here's the shocking part. Uh, ben Sherwin, Terror from Frozen North Gaining, uh, as well as Sean Naden. Good news is they went undefeated. Bad news is they went 5-0-1. Each of them had a tie, and that forced them, unfortunately, to miss the cut. Sean Naney, first time ever at LVO falling outside of the top 10. He finished 13th on the event. Uh, Charlie Andre, who we talked about several times in the show, winning several events, coming up just short 14th place, going 5-1. and one. Jack Harpster, losing his final game of the uh, tournament. He falls to 16th, missing the playoff. A local favorite here, Donovan Silo. A great job. Uh, also going 5-1 and one with Grey Knights. Finished 17th place. Tom Ogden, he was a dark horse in the top 10. I think it was close to like nah, 17th place. Um, dropped game two despite putting up four back-to-back 100 games. It was not enough to get into the uh, playoffs. Brad Chester dropped his third game and also freaked everybody out. Did he come with Drukari? No. Did he come with this new Asuriani army that he loves so much? No. He pulled a Nick Nanavani and decided, I'm going to pick an army I haven't played with all season and brought Forces of the Hive Mind. That's what you get for joining the Hive Mind and not being introduced to their code of conduct first. I just think it's funny because Brad ripped into uh, Nick when he did that last LVO, and Nick brought like white scars and had never played them prior to that event, and just thought it was hilarious. And then he does it himself. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. And, and then... Like his scores were all as high as he could get them. I think the one score aside from his loss in his third round was his first round. He only scored an 84. Every single other game he played that he won, he got 97. So I think at that point he was taking Octarius every single game. Unbelievable. Uh, John Lennon, you know, people thought he was the odds on favorite to win it. Huge shocker dropped game one. 
And despite playing mm-hmm. four 100-point games in a row, was not enough. He ended up finishing 28th. Uh, some other big names, we'll get into that a little bit later, that uh, made the run. But your top eight, oh, score, sorry, I skipped ahead. Manny Chima at this point, 6-0, and was just ripping through the field until he got to the shadow round. So somewhere deep in the shadows, he was a casualty to, of all people, Alex McDougal. So, <laughs> Yep, seems like the real space raid party could not, well, actually, no, it's not a real space raid, it's a horde of racks, um, could tame such large bugs i think yeah because alex mcdougall brought forces of the hive yep. mind which put him into round three now i'm gonna i'm gonna pour one out because uh, a smite club member of our own daniel all of us he was five and oh all the way up until the last round and and then he just something his dice just failed him or something and he just got bonked in his last round. Yeah. He also, he was almost yeah. there. Then again, he also was playing Richard Sega in the last round. So the, the chance was there, the, the up and he uh, fought valiantly. So another great effort there for one of our local uh, Ben Jurek also would talk about real quick. Also uh, five and one. Uh, he ended up losing also to, to uh, I believe it was Siegler. I'm going to have to double check that, but, but also made a big, uh, fantastic run and just missed out on uh, Best Orc player by just a few points. Mm-hmm. It's still a feat, though, coming in second place in such a wide love faction where it's just a generic army. You can't subdivide into them very often. Right. So your top eight was a kind of a who's who of people that we never talk about. <laughs> yep. So down in eighth place... Um, was Raphael Jaffre with um, Drakari. Sorry if I butchered your name if you listen to this. Um, seventh place was Ben Neal with Grey Knights. Sixth place was Anthony Vanilla. Seems like he made it over here with Drakari. Yeah. And he was in a great uh, position to possibly, but he again, just like uh, Richard Siegler, he needed some help. Uh, he needed one of those other players to, to drop, and uh, the cards were falling in place, but fortunately... Uh, he did not make it through the top eight as far as he would like. Yep. Fifth place was David Gaylord with Tyranids, actual Tyranids. Um, fourth place, the man himself, Alex McDougal, dropped the ball in the lat in the semifinals just to get just to let Richard Siegler take the way, I guess. Um, third place was Evan Thompson with Custodes. Second place, the man who almost took it from Richard Siegler, um, Matt Laura, who also brought custodes. And then, as we've mentioned several times so far, first place, the machine himself, Mr. Richard Siegler, bringing Skatari. So that with the win at the LVO, with all the other players dropping and not even making it to the uh, final playoffs, it was enough points for Richard to leapfrog all of them and he also wins the 2021 2022 season championship with only six events an incredible feat mm-hmm. and as a as um uh my passenger uh, tim pointed out this was his sophomore season because last season didn't technically exist because of the because of all the restrictions so the fact that Siegler has technically won back-to-back live ITC seasons is something to behold. 
And this list is very different. So last time when we talked about Siegler winning the, the previous one, he had played Tau most of the season, and then for LVO, he switched over to Iron Hands. And everybody's like, oh my god, what a big change. And realistically, they were the same list. He actually pointed out that they played almost identically the way he ran them. It was just that Iron Hands were better than Tau at that point. This list, on the other hand, this is <laughs> this is could be any more different from what he ran that previous LVO. Yeah, so with the fact that I roomed with a person who was maining Admech, this list sounded like it was one of the hardest ways you could play Admech at the time, but it was the most rewarding. So it's a army of renown. It is a veteran cohort. So some some other benefits. There's a whole laundry list. I can never remember them. <laughs> and, he's, and he's playing them as Mars. So he has access to the Mars stratagems and everything like that. Um, I believe he still keeps the one free reroll to hit. Um, and he spends what looks like one, two, three, four, five, six command points right off the bat for, I'm assuming, extra relics, boiler traits, all that stuff. He has a tech priest engine here that doesn't take up a slot. He has a two marshals, a manipulus, a brick, two bricks of 20. No, 19 Rangers. Um, one, both of them with an Omni Specs, which uh, I am assuming. Oh, no, it's the data tether that gives them table range orders. Uh, two minimum sized units of Vanguards. Um, and then the Elite slot, we get one unit of five Infiltrators, one brick of 10 Rust Stalkers, and then two more bricks of eight Rust Stalkers. And then to wrap up the list, we have three single Iron Strider Bellistaris with the last cannons, and then two Scorpius Disintegrators, the things that used to terrify the game with, oh yeah, no, we have Strength 5, like AP 2, two damage shooting with non-line of sight, or whatever yep. it was. It's still, it's still pretty nasty, because it's still indirect fire. Mm -hmm. So from what um, Tim has told me about this list, and seeing him play Infiltrators and Rust Stalkers, it is very high level play and can um, easily get out of hand for your opponent because everything is kind of everywhere and doing something. Yeah, I actually uh, practiced against this list. One of our teammates is playing something similar. He's, the only thing he took out differently was um, the disintegrators. I think he put in an extra, couple of extra iron striders. But uh, the long story short is the large blocks of rangers sit on objectives in the backfield. And with the marshals and the manipulus, so now you're benefiting from both canticles and whatever the Skatari version is. So they got the dual, um, they're all taking uh, advantage of that. The Vanguard really do a surprising amount of heavy lifting for not doing a whole lot. Because if you they project an aura that is minus one strength, minus one toughness. So now all the Rust Stalkers and Infiltrators now go haywire because they can go advance and charge and they natively have strength five weapons. Now, if you're already minus one toughness, there's a good chance that they all of a sudden went from hitting, wounding you on fours to wounding you on threes. Now you also throw in uh, minus one strength. You're, you're hitting back at even reduced strength. Uh, give you an idea. They, I've, prior to that practice game, I had never lost all my Talos. They were all gone by turn three. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that happening, especially because of the fact that I know at least one of those kinds of units, I don't remember if it's the Infiltrators or the Rust Stalkers, have that forward deploy. So you can 
really put them in a place that holds your opponent still at least for a turn. So like if they were going into orcs, um, you could use the infiltrators, I believe, to just hold off the one hole in your opponent's deployment zone. So that way their army just can't come forward and sure you, they send out the planes, but then you pick up the planes during your turn. It's that kind of thing. Right. It's still a very difficult list, very high pressure, and just not what you expect from a Mechanicus list. You know, you're expecting a lot of, you know, gun line type shooting and stuff. Not at all. So, uh, like I said, high skill level, high risk, and obviously high reward in this particular case. So it worked out great. Yep. And the matchup that he went into with Matt Laura, um, this was some the amount of Custodes players that I saw there this weekend hands down 80% of them you could look at them and go you're playing Emperor's Chosen because Emperor's Chosen is by far the best shield host in the book this man made it to second place playing with the old champions of 8th edition and that's Shadow Keepers so innately if you're in melee combat with Shadow Keepers units you have minus one attack characteristic so with something like Rust Stalker's Infiltrators where they can throw out a bunch of melee attacks you suddenly lose at least a few of them. Um, but his list looks something like this. It's Trajan Valoris, uh, a bike captain with a missile launcher and tip of the spear, which is a captain commander trait of when he charges, he gets to reroll his own ones to hit and ones to wound. Um, shield captain and terminator armor with unstoppable destroyers so it's like an extra inch piling and consolidation and because he's a terminator he can go towards the nearest character instead of towards the nearest unit then he has one two three four units of no three units of regular custodian guard all with spears one unit of wardens with castellan axes they're a, um, a really sturdy um, bodyguard unit three individual Aloris Terminators because they're units of one to six now a two Contemptor Galaz Dreadnoughts so the sword and board dreads one of them with Eternal Penitent because you can only use that once now um, and the two Calenius Grav Tanks with the cheaper gun of the Iliastus Accelerator Culverns which is eight shots of strength seven AP three damage two so marine killers um, and the he actually ends up listing the relics as a separate thing. So yes, the bike captain has the stasis oubliette and the lock warden and the superior creation. So he has a five of field no pain. Um, when he's in combat with a character, the character cannot roll invulnerable saves. I believe is what the stasis oubliette is. Yeah, at the start of the fight phase, you. Yeah, one enemy unit with an engagement range. Um, fights last. That's what it is. Lock Warden is the no invuln saves on characters. And then the Terminator Captain has a Praetorian Plate, which is a once per game pick up, drop into combat from anywhere on the table. Yeah. As long as they're next to a friendly custodian unit. And then he also has the minus one to hit Warlord trait. So how does this work? list work? I'm I barely understood Custodes so, previously, and I really didn't, didn't prepare the ninth edition codex at all. So I look at this and I go, 
I don't even know what the hell these things are. <laughs> so with the way custodes work, because the term because the bike captain isn't your warlord, Trajan has to be. He's using the bike captain as a character hunter because he sends in the shield captain. All right, like um, let's say I was going. Let's say I sent my shield captain after your archon. How dare you? I'll get him one day <laughs> or her. Um, but my bike captain goes in with shadow keepers. I charge in. Um, guess what? I have lock warden. You no longer get your two up and vulnerable save. So my spear is now plus one to wound against you at strength seven. I'm already wounding you on twos. Could have made a lot easier to shot your bolt pistol. You know I would have failed my shadow field on the first roll. <laughs> well, I mean, I only got one missile, and we all know the big guns don't do that. Um, <laughs> and then the, the Terminator is kind of the... is the similar to like your kind of like Ooga Booga homunculus, uh -huh. where he... Oh, you kill him? Oh, wait, no, I stand back up and I scare you. The Terminator Captain can very much do that because the Praetorium plate also increases his toughness. So he goes from toughness 5 to toughness 6. Oh. So he, this guy just becomes incredibly hard to punch and he gives him the minus 1 to hit Warlord trait, which some people might think is a little useless. But the fact that you're going into a character that gives you minus 1 attack, minus 1 to hit, and can also make you minus 1 strength with the Shadow Keeper stratagem... That's a lot of negatives to chew through sometimes. Yeah, that all adds up, especially when you think about Siegler's List, which has a lot of bodies that are probably like, well, you know, one or two attacks here. So, yep. So overall, it's the the list is very sturdy with how many normal custodian bodies he has. And then the Calaiuses are the long range fire support to just kind of chunk away at things. Because they're damaged too, so sadly a lot of minus one damage is going on. Uh, but the contempt, all of the dreadnoughts have core, so you can literally make a little Trajan flower where the petals are dreadnoughts, right? And just walk them up the board, and the dreadnought, the the spear dreadnoughts, the Achilleses, their lance shots are flat three damage. But in melee, they have D3 plus 3 damage attacks. Ooh. Whereas the Gladys is the horde clearer, so you can send up the Gladys who has a 4-up invuln and goes, I get D3 extra attacks with my sword. I already have 6 of them. Wow. And the sword is also a flamer. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, so overall, the Custodes, it's very durable for what it is, and since he's bringing minimum units of Custodian Guard, he can leave them on objectives, but they're also durable enough that a three-man squad can walk up next to, like, one random Dreadnought and handle most of a flank, unless it's, like, a whole bunch of heavy weaponry. The, um, the Wardens are the probably, like, the actual ring around Trajan because they are bodyguards. So Trajan can't be targeted at all. Um, and then, yeah, the single custodians in the 20, in the current mit in the 2021 missions were really good for, Oh, I'm going to drop one 40 millimeter base in this corner for engage or Octarius. And you can do that multiple times. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So, 
interesting list and uh, interesting, like you said, there are a lot of custodes there, but not custodes like this. So I think it was great to see this make it all the way to the top. Yeah, I know there was one guy who showed up there and he was playing Dreadnought Spam. So I think this guy had like two or three Telemons and two of each of the other Dreadnoughts and then Trajan. <laughs> Jeez. So yeah, it's Custodes is Custodes showed up in force for LVO. It made me happy to see it and also made me really sad that I didn't bring mine. <laughs> yeah, well, next time. <laughs> yes, yes. If they're relevant, because we all know Eldar is gonna be super spooky. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> I got pretty models right now. So everybody's getting all worked up. <laughs> yep. Oh man. It was such a fun event, though. Yeah, let's get into that in a few seconds. It's one of other notables from the uh, event. Uh, Malik Amin Rubio did make the trip from England. He ended up finishing 58th, also 5-1. and one. Yeah, 5-1, and one, and somehow you drop all the way to 58th place. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, some of those scores were really, really stacked. Because yeah. I know when we were watching into round 5 and round 6 with um, Donovan and Dan, they were... Like Donovan was third place, Dan was fourth place, and then things got shuffled around, and they they were always in the top five somewhere. Yep. And we were just like, "How? Like everyone has one hundreds or like ninety nines? How is this mm-hmm. possible? Like how are they getting shifted so much from all of this?" Uh, James Keeling from uh, Goonhammer fame uh, ended up going five and one, losing his last game in round six. Uh, other ones as well from the previous shows we've talked about. Stephen Box uh, end up going four uh, one in one. He ended up tying his first game a ninety five point tie, and then uh, lost his last round. Dan Sammons uh, also the same for four zero and one, as well as friend of the show Colin McDade, who actually brought his Harlequins this time around, brought them back for their one last ride. Also going four one in one. So just a, a nice, uh, this nice mix of famous names we've been talking about all season long on the show. Yeah, and it's it made me really happy to know that I at least made it to the event and I had a chance to play in the same field as these people. Like even if I knew, like, oh, I show up and I play Brad Chester, Brad Chester is going to destroy me. <laughs> But hey, at least I showed up and I got to play him. And that's a big thing. And one thing I want to, so we'll, we'll get into uh, Robert's games um, round by round in a little bit. But it's one thing I just I really applaud. Six games in a weekend, especially with this atmosphere, it does take a physical toll. So to play the fix six games, especially when things don't go your way, um, a hat goes off to any player who does that. Huge respect. And it's probably my favorite part about the sport is that it's not that Brad Chester or Nick or uh, even Richard Siegler is six foot eight and I can't they can dunk on me or something like that. They just play more often. There's really no better way to describe how do they get good. They play more often. So guess what? You've got 365 days to get some games in, and maybe you can be mm-hmm. the next the next champion or at least make it to the top eight. So it, it's one of the best parts. Like you said, if you buy a ticket, you're in. That's it. You know, so it's pretty exciting stuff. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? 
If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Yep, and I know we have one little snippet between this and the event recap because there were some interesting things that they revealed at LVO the day before the tournament. Yeah, so that Thursday night, uh, great segue there, Robert. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> so they had a little reveal party, and uh, I, of course, forgot there's a time zone difference, so I tuned in at 10 o'clock local time, thinking, what the hell is going on? It's not on. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they uh, GW had, as they've done in every other uh, Las Vegas Open that they attended, had a little reveal party of some new models coming out. And uh, a lot of the new super sexy craft uh, world Eldar coming out, including uh, not only a version of the uh, Avatar, which w- was already leaked earlier in the day, but they actually had it at their booth. So you could see how tall it is, and they had it painted up right there in the booth. So you could see that that's physically how big it is, which uh, I was surprised. It's a good size. Yeah, I sadly didn't get to go see it because I was too busy yelling at my knees to keep me standing up over the mm. table. Um, but no, judging from the pictures that I saw, it's about two thirds of a night tall and it gets like an extra three inches. If you do the head variant where it has a single head spire instead of two, it's a, they had it paired next to a riptide. The riptide is maybe a half inch taller. So I'll give you an idea how, how big this thing is. Yeah, and um, the other reveal that they showed off, because I can't remember if they did it before, but everyone kind of lost their stuff, was um, Maugen Ra. <laughs> yeah, the ex- the uh, Phoenix Lord of the Dark Reapers. Wow, what a glow up. He looks awesome. Yeah, that was... Um, every, you could just hear a collective just, whew, whew, man, is it hot in here or is it just me? <laughs> kind of thing throughout the internet because this mo- this model is gorgeous and it makes up for the silly heads that the normal dark reapers have occasionally if you choose those head variants and it honestly makes me excited to see if they do that kind of update for the other phoenix lords yeah, hopefully sometime soon um so a couple other ones i believe the shining spears are revealed uh, i'm trying to remember um, I think those were showed off maybe a week before because okay. they got updated to like the new, um, the newer Shroud Runner bikes. I think. Yep. Okay, that's correct. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else they revealed. There was a few odds and ends, and then um... Um, there was a there was a new Bloodthirster for the Horus Terrace. Yes, and it's a named character, uh, Benal. I think his name is, and I'm not familiar with him from the fluff. But once I described him, I was like, oh, that guy. So he's the one who pretty much ravaged Ball um, single-handedly. Yeah, um, at that point, I think, narratively, that one might be Nemesis, the one that is attached to the Blood Angels. So that is, that's kind of like the specific Bloodthirster that will always harass the Blood Angels, is what I think it is. I, I have I didn't pay attention much to the Heresy reveals, because obviously I was there for 40k, not for Heresy. He's a gorgeous model, though. Yeah, it looks really cool. And he is a forgeable model, so he will be uh, resin. So just be aware of that when you purchase that. Yep, put rods in the wings. Do it. Yep. 
I'll just quick. Um, no, no, I was going to try and remember what was next. Uh, the only thing else I saw was um, interesting. They're adding vehicles to Necromunda. Uh, so kind of this idea that there's ways to get from one hive city to the next. To me, it looked like Snowpiercer in the 41st millennium. But um, <laughs> it's funny that they've always toyed with this idea. So to see that they're actually coming out with it was really cool. And uh, but there weren't any whole lot of details in terms of what exactly these rules will be. Uh, yeah, and I've never, I have yet to play Necromunda. I have two gangs. I haven't touched a single table or rolled a single ammo check yet. <laughs> then you have not lived. Uh, I want to. Yeah. It's a fun game until it's not. So let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I know the the overall other reveals that kind of that kind of stirred up a big storm was the fact that Games Workshop is now becoming an even closer partner with the ITC. Yeah, I was really curious by this. They're uh, right day before LVO starts that Wednesday. Uh, Reese put out on the TO uh, Facebook page, "Hey, we'd like to get together after the GW reveal party if you're going to be in town." And I was like, all right, well, but nice to network and all that. And felt really bad that I was not going at this point. Now I am like, oh, my God. Um, short version is the ITC and GW are working together. So if you win at certain events, you will get real prizes. <laughs> yeah. So, like, um, I know this year with the Games Workshop Open events, there was some hinting that, oh, you may or may not get ITC points because it's a game workshop event, not an ITC event. Um, but in this article that was released the day after, well, no, on, on Friday, so yeah, Friday, the day after the reveal, they legitimately explained that if you go to official Warhammer events, so anything that they do for their tours, it will get you actual ITC points. So it, you can literally go to any event you want during the year and just go get points so that way you can get ranked. Um, then, for instance, if you go and win an ITC event, and I don't know the scale, I don't know how big it has to be to qualify for this, but if you win the ITC, you... Well, not, not the ITC, but the event you get one army codex of your choice. Now, if it's digital or physical, I don't know. But still, getting to walk away with a codex for free, I'll take yeah. it. From what I understand, it, it will be a digital code. So you're downloading it to the app. Now, I know it's, oh, not the app. Okay, the army builder, not the greatest. But the information, when you have the codex digitally, it's all there. So... Mm -hmm. And the next thing is it comes more toward ah, so it's they actually specified in the article. It is major ITC events. So you have to go to a larger event. Okay. So whew, that makes it so that way people can't just go win RTTs all right. the time and get all the codex. That being said though, um, if you go to your local RTT, there's still a reason to go. So I'll yeah. read it verbatim here so I don't screw it up. Every participant in any ITC tournament or event, there's a reason why we say event separately. No matter how big or small, we'll have a chance to win an invitation to a special annual event, and we'll even cover your travel and accommodations. 
Mm -hmm. And I know that was a big thing of like, oh, you went and won the GW Dallas Open. Okay, you've earned an invite to the Invitational, which I think was like November, I think. Grapevine. Yeah. So, all right, cool. That's super sick. Um, But now you anyone can do this as long as obviously you have to win and get and make sure you can actually go the um the next thing of towards the end of the season some of the prizes you can get for being a champion is if you win a best in faction so let's say Eric, you just happened to be number one Drew Kari that season. Yeah, dream on. <laughs> um, the, you don't win just one codex. You receive digital... So you receive the digital rules entitlements for the subsequent calendar year for your game system because they point out it's both for Age of Sigmar and for 40k. So basically you win Best in Faction, you, ha- you will get access to every single codex. That is so cool. <laughs> and then if you win the actual ITC, so let's see, hobby track and competitive winners. So I, it, basically, I don't know if it separates the two for two winners, but either way, if you win the hobby track or the competitive side, you get a 2,000 point army and what we, of whatever right. you want. And what we've seen previously when they had some giveaways for uh, Warhammer Plus, those 2,000-point armies, they're legit. They're they're not like, oh, here you do get like eight squads of intercessors. Ha, ha, ha. That's what – no, they're, they're doing pretty decent stuff. So very exciting. Yeah. And actually reading, reading the rest of that sentence, um, Richard Siegler actually just won himself an army. That's right. Because <laughs> it started this weekend. Um, and then the last bit for the champions is um, top performing finishers will have an opportunity to participate in the balanced data slate feedback group. I think that's more enticing than anything else that I've read off so far. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So yeah, you actually have a say in saying this is broken. This needs to be fixed. And we're going to hear that from the top players. That's just really great way of incorporating the uh Community and also getting, but also avoiding a lot of popular sentiment and people who actually are in it to win it. So, yeah, as a player, all of those incentives are huge. If only I could make time for it. A part of it, I look at this like, I will make time for it. But then I thought, well, if I make time for it, I'm being very selfish. I will be sacrificing some of my time as a tournament organizer. GW heard that. I don't know how, I just said it now, but they knew that ahead of time. So they came up with this. If it all falls to those mighty heroes who do the hard work making sure that the venue has a roof, tables, tons of great terrain, and players a steady supply of caffeine. So yes, tournament organizers, you're finally getting something. We will make sure the inappropriate organizers and judges will have codices and battle tomes so they can be fully up to date on all units, missions, and rules needed to run a great event. That's right, folks. If you're part of the selected group of tournament organizers, you're getting every codex. So now the the argument of the TEO shouldn't have to carry around carry around a library of books. 
well, you can. Yeah. And it's all digital again. So, Jim Vessel, if you're listening to this, it's finally happening. <laughs> uh, we'll be increasing the amount of terrain and other product support available. I'm super excited about this because I have never heard of GW providing terrain for an event. This is just, I was like, what, what, what does this mean? Yeah, I, I think, Eric, <clears throat> for for Akatio Onslaught and Scorched Earth Open, I, I think we need to like um, distract a few people online and go knock on that door first. Uh, it might be a little late for Scorched Earth. We're actually doing pretty well with that. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. I shall just say it now. If you haven't bought a ticket, you got to hurry. Um, initially, we had 64 tables available. We have sold 63. Uh, we've talked with the organizers to possibly expanding it to 70 tables. And uh, so get your tickets now or get on the wait list because you might be shut out. I'm lucky I have yeah. mine. Uh, going on with this, uh, tournament organizers will have a chance to join the TO advisory group to make sure there's a place to get feedback. And uh, also uh, be part of the balanced data slate feedback group as well. Yeah, I, I really do enjoy the fact that with the competitive environment now actually being able to voice their opinions directly into groups and not on forums, this game is going to become no more of how broken can the game be for me to win it. It's all right. We're going to play competitively. Us as a collective have identified a problem. We can now fix that problem. Yep. So in addition to this, uh, if you're like me, I'm trying to do my best James Workshop voice. If you're like me, look sharp, Warhammer fans. Get a Warhammer subscription now, and you may get a slew of extra exclusive goodies and merch, such as mission cards, markers, counters, widgets, and early registration to your favorite events. I'll give that two claps, Thank Eric. You. That was that was pretty good. I don't know why I find that guy so funny. I just do. But anyway, yes, that was another thing. So yeah, there's still more giveaways to be had with Warhammer Plus. Um, they're slowly building up their library, so it may be a good time to jump on the bandwagon. Especially now that uh, two new shows, one show was uh, actually unveiled uh, called uh, I think it's Inquisitor. It's basically an Inquisitor-based uh, uh, series. Looks very film noir, all a lot of black and white. And of course, the Exodite is supposed to drop in the next two weeks, So, which is about the Tau. So why is it called the Exodite? Uh, I can't talk. Exodite. Uh, wait and see. So we'll be curious to see what that's all about. But that's more of a uh, traditional CGI type uh, animation style. And the last two hammer and bolters weren't half bad. So um... yeah, the um, the Imperial, the Astro Militarum one, I actually really liked because it does actually show exactly how strong of a bind Cadia has with the rest of the guard. And then um. <laughs> The the tech priest engines here in the Castellan robot one man that was just like oh oh that's too true that one was really good uh, I liked I'm still on the fence about because it was um, most recent one it has a black legion uh, beating the snot out of a bunch of Necrons at a, in a tomb world looking for artifacts. And they bargain with Abaddon. Here is a beans to travel through warp space uh, without spaceships. Basically, you can walk across the warp. So you get to see that whole hierarchy. You know, might makes right among the Chaos Space Marines. And then they start arguing with each other. And basically, I'm in charge. Okay. And they all bow their heads. We're going to move forward. 
And then, sure enough, they go up against these Drakari that were there first. And then, in the end, of course, it was this all a Necron trick. So, it was really, yeah, it was pretty cool. So, with everyone's favorite little collectors. I I loved that. It was so good. Really good there. But, all right. um, So, that is the the big side of things. Let's get our man on the street look at um, how the event was. Let's start with. and it's a new venue. So how was the Rio? What was the hotel like? And uh, getting to, cause it was, it's a little off the strip. So tell me a little about the venue. Well, since I'd been to the Rio before for um, non 40 K stuff, it was, it was okay to get to because it's, it's attached to a major street that goes directly to the strip. So if you end up getting off on, Oh, I'm going to the strip, but I need to go to, flamingo you can just drive down the strip for however long till you hit flamingo and then hang a left um so it wasn't hard to get to some of the food places were a little out of the way sometimes if you wanted to go to the better sides of things and then yes the um the overall lack of being on the strip meant if you wanted to go and do anything after your round you had to drive there walk there uber there whatever not that I minded, because my original plan was to stay inside my hotel room and order takeout. That ended up changing. <laughs> um, so I didn't mind being at the Rio, personally. Um, the sofa beds are terrible. They are very uncomfortable. But, I mean, that's a foldable mattress for you. Um, the, the venue could have done with um, making sure that all of the elevators were actually operational because there was a few nights that it seemed like maybe only five out of the eight elevators were actually working. So there were a lot of long lines. Um, Now I would have better comparisons if I had gone to the past years at Valley's, but I, I honestly, like a seven out of ten enjoyed myself. The the may the only fixes were working elevators, um, easier access to the strip, and then not so far of a god dang walk to the convention hall from our hotel room. I know it wasn't very far, but dang, it felt like forever. It's funny that was actually one of the complaints about Bally's was you from I think. Every year I went, I was on either the fifth, you know, about fifteen, sixteenth floor, and from my hotel room to the convention hall where the forty k tournament was held, budget twenty minutes, and it wasn't like you're fighting crowds to get down or waiting for the elevator. It just took that long to walk down there, <laughs> and half of it was you got past a checkpoint, you showed your your bracelet, and you're like, okay, from this point forward, forty k players only, or. Uh, LVO participants only. And even that was still like another 10 minute walk. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. I think in total, my walk from the elevators or from hotel room to actual convention hall was just under 10 minutes. But with how busy um, the Rio was that initial weekend, it seemed like a little bit longer of a walk. Because I was also carrying a, an army tray with a steel plate in it, so that way my magnets didn't roll around, that kind of thing. 
um, hey, it saved my life a mm-hmm. lot. <laughs> so I wasn't having to worry about dropping models. Um, but no, it was it was enjoyable to say the least because the positives made up for a lot of the negatives. The convention hall was huge. Like they had almost 800 people after people dropped out, couldn't show up, whatever in that space, they could have fit another, at least 300 people easy. Wow. And then if I do my rough, they had the big video screen apparently as well. Yeah, uh, they had the stream tables up on the stage. There was two of them. Um, they and they had them being broadcasted directly from the tables onto television screens that were above the stage. So if you're at the way back of the conventional hall, you couldn't see them very well. But it's not like they're projecting them onto a jumbotron or anything like that. But now, once you got about halfway through the tables, you could actually see the match that was going on in some detail. Never that I paid attention to it because I was too busy with my own games and finding chairs to sit in. So let's get into it. Uh, Talk about your games a little bit. Let's talk about getting the jitters out. Round one. Well, I... (laughs) Have you ever had a tactical coin flip of deciding who actually wins the game at the coin flip? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That was was my round one. Um, I'll, I'll give it to my opponent, Devin Cross. Uh, it was an orc mirror match of free Buddhas into the army of renown. And I did the strategy that every single army do- has to do against us in order to not lose. And that's reserve most of your stuff. So that way it doesn't get blown off the table. Um, only problem was, is that strategy is made to go second. I ended up going first. Oh, so I only had about me a third of my firepower on the table. My opponent's turn. He got, both of my kill rigs he got both of my plane i think he got one or both of my planes also so when i brought in my the rest of my force i was sol there was nothing i could do about it because he had two was bombs flying around in my back half of the table and yeah no i i lost that game pretty soundly um 28 to something a lot higher than that (laughs) all right rough start but you know get those yeah get that first game done Round two. Um, grand, round two, I actually got paired into Grey Knights, something that I haven't had a lot of practice into. Um, that one was actually a much tighter game because I <clears throat> I got to go first, I believe. Let me double check here. But needless to say, um, I went up against six Dread Knights. Ugh. Yeah, that was that was fun. Um, I lost. So, to figure out the score, I lost round one twenty-eight to ninety. Um, this one I lost forty-eight to ninety-six. So, my my opponent was really, really well versed in Grey Knights, even with a chess clock. He he kept time nice and tight. Um, my one my one proud moment was when I went. I had enough stuff up on the table that I could wah effectively, mm-hmm. and on his next turn he burned something like 30 to 35 minutes of his clock just trying to figure out what he was going to do. <laughs> it's always a good sign. Make your opponent think for a little while. So, Yeah, because I made him use the um the teleport shunt that a Dread Knight can have. I think I picked up one non-character Dread Knight, I think. 
either way, it was a really tight game. Um, round three. Uh, round three, we're just going to talk about what happens when you play that kind of guy. Because my third round, um, I was into Tau. I lost 45 to 76. That is the only round that I ever had to call a judge to a table for an important question. I did that five times. So uh, the only question I've got about this game is, was this before or after his yellow card? <laughs> as far as I know, it was after his yeah. yellow card. So This, yeah, uh, notorious player. We'll just say that. Yeah, he knew what you were getting into, unfortunately. So, so um, if you end up dealing with someone like this person, the one thing I can recommend is... Be very calm, be very collected, and be very concise. Because the problem that was initially going on... Oh, my th my broadside unit has this kind of gun. Oh, can I see the rules for that, please, to verify what that thing does? Okay, but this is on your time. Uh, last time I checked, it takes three seconds to pass me your book and you continue your turn because you already killed my plane. <laughs> so let me read the book so that way I can see what it does. I had never gotten so much pushback from asking what something does in my entire time of playing 40k. But yes, um, I got a little rowdy. I got really agitated. I'm not proud of it. But I kept my behavior acceptable for the table. I didn't break things. I didn't explicitly yell at him. Um, I vented my frustration into rolling dice and attempting to kill models. <laughs> so you walk away. It's it's Saturday, you know, the Friday night, big night to go out with the buddies. And so what happens at this point? Seclusion at home, spend some time with the friends. Well, it was it was very much let's just go. Let's let's go get food. Um, me and a couple of a couple of teammates went to this amazing ramen place that's right off of the strip, next to Wahlburgers, <clears throat> and that instantly made me feel better because I was just like, yeah, no, I'm here to have fun. I'm not here to be competitive. I'm not here to try and win the thing because I'm not in the position to win the entire right. thing. So I'm just gonna be here for fun. This is my first LVO. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. Just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus Podcast. Which brings us to a new day. So the good news is you're gonna be playing other folks that also had a 0-1-3 day. So tell us about round four. Um, well, round four, I did not get to share all my candy because that's that was my gimmick going to this. Every model that you killed, you got a matching Jolly Ranger. So 
my my first round opponent, um, Jade Scott. I explained to him exactly what my army did before we even set up, and he's just like, "Bro, sounds like you're gonna freaking bonk me on the head." And I just look at him, I go, "Probably," and he laughs at it because he's just like, "Oh yeah, I know it's an orky thing to do." Um, I'm gonna do this thing, and it ended up being the thing that made us go for five turns instead of two. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He he reserved all of his cultists and his two units of Nurglings. So he only had a Lord of Change, Scarbrand, a Chaos Knight, two Demon Princes, and a Lord of Discordant on the table. Wow, he actually had quite a bit of tools to deal with your list. Okay. Yeah, and it was... I got to go first, and I killed nothing. Absolutely nothing on my first huh. turn. But I at the end of the game, I ended up taking that game 91 to 23 and that man i applaud him it took three squads of cultists but he took my green plane out of the sky ah, bastard. <laughs> hey he got his green apple jolly rancher he was happy about very it very cool um and then round five um i went up against craft worlds um william hammer he he put up a good fight um only problem was is the way we set up terrain on battle lines, um, there was a nice pocket in the middle of the table that we had set up where it was long enough that I could actually hide two kill rigs behind it if I really wanted to. As long as he was side by side. Um, so on turn two, my, my red kill rig, Terrence, made it into his deployment zone to tie up a Falcon, Osserman, one remaining Shining Spear, and a Farseer. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah, that was all on turn two. How does that happen on turn two? Oh my god. <laughs> um, I deployed on the line. I went first. And I sacrificed both my Daka Jets to keep him in his deployment zone. Because he dedicated his two units of Shining Spears to hopefully finish off the planes. Which they did. But then he moved them back into his deployment zone and my kill rigs have already moved forward and I had prepared to feed them into him one at a time. So that way he was stuck there. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and then round six, probably my second favorite opponent of the weekend after Jade um, was Darren Mueller. And of all things, I ended finishing my event on orcs. So it was free Buddhas against free Buddhas and death skulls. I went first, and I killed a single Scrapjet, two units of Commandos, and I think I hurt one unit of bikes, or maybe killed one. I don't remember. The thing, though, was um, one Scrapjet ran away, so he was left with one Scrapjet, and not a whole lot, and no Defcopters on the table because he had reserved them. Um, his turn, he killed nothing. So on my second turn, I was able to bring in my entire army and just go... Black. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, he lost both he lost both of his custom blastus to actually being shot. He lost a squig buggy, which then the other ran away the other one ran away because of morale. Um all he had left on the table was some war bikers, his war boss, and his some of his um beast boss on Squigasaur, and his big mech with the custom force field that was burned out. And he had his Storm Boys and Defcoptas in reserves. So you ended up finishing the weekend 3-3, three and three, which is a little ahead of your original prediction. 
well, that's actually exactly what I wanted. Like, okay, I want to go in, come out three and three. I will accept a two and four because in in the basically over the first day they were actually doing almost completely random pairings. So you could get paired with someone who, like, okay, you won the game with like a 75. Oh, you got paired into someone who won their game with a hundred. So no like easy staggered matching kind of things. It was just a roll the dice. Let's see who you get. And you're stuck with them. Pretty cool. How's the terrain? That was always a question with uh, the setup that they had this year. Um, The terrain was actually really nice. Um, Aside from most of it was already broken by, by round two. Oh, that's not cool. And not majorly broken, like maybe like one little piece was off or something like that. On day two, though, there was some like some of the larger buildings on like the mossy table and stuff where one of the buildings, actually an entire wall section had gotten removed. Oh, God. Good grief. Mm hmm. But overall, it was it was what I expected of the terrain. It was functional. The bases were were solid enough to. You're like, okay, yeah, no, you need to actually be mindful of it. Because I know some people, the way they do it is, okay, the, the terrain has a base. You don't care about the base. You just rubber band the building. I actually had the judge clarify for one round for setting up the terrain, if it was to the actual building or to the base. And he said, no, the rules affect the entire base of the model. So like the, there was like a solid inch, inch and a half off of the some of the larger buildings that have obscuring that you could literally sit a guy behind and go, yep, nope, I'm not behind a wall, but I'm obscured. So you can play with a lot of movement, I guess. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was hard to tell. I'll be honest with you from afar. It was really exciting to see the matchups at, you know, that, you know, round one, the big excitement, John Lennon losing his match. And then apparently he uh, ran into a, uh, I can't think of the name of it. It's the new Tyranid list. Uh, something Stampede. The Crusher, Crusher Stampede. Stampede. Thank you. And it basically got into his lines, and then uh, I think he six consecutive vehicles exploded in his lines. So it just was just killing everything. Just crazy dumb luck. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I saw him walking down the aisle after that game. He was like, yeah, no, I put this many missiles into this one thing and he made eight out of 10 saves. So it was exciting to watch the, the round by round as you're trying to follow things. But uh, fortunately, some of it was the venue. Some of it was the conditions. I mean, right off the bat, uh, masks were required for, for the event per the County. And so therefore the shoutcasters were had to wear their masks because they were actually in the hall. So it was a little harder to hear them more than normal. I was trying to figure out what happened to Paul Murphy and Nick Donavati. I, I know they were there. I saw their Facebook pages there posting they were there. But um, it was uh, Peter the Falcon and uh, Al Cavallari handling shoutcasting duties. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's weird. And they were silent broadcasting like GW did have their rig. It was all FLG doing their uh, streaming. Yeah, I'm not really sure either because since I wasn't paying attention to the the streaming tables very often, I didn't even get to see Paul Murphy until I accidentally walked by mm-hmm. him after round six. And I was like, wait a minute. I, I, okay, I think that's Paul Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> Looked like he was a man on a mission. He might have been. 
at that point, he probably headed to the award ceremony for something. But um, so that was kind of odd. And then the other odd part was, okay, maybe this is just be being holding, expecting too much. I think it's a better way to look at it. But it's, you know, it's LVO, and this is the event, right? The the graphics package was kind of. I couldn't tell if I was watching LVO or like a 64 person event from like Lucaville. So it was <laughs> the fonts were you know, the kind of off size for this, a lot of negative space. At times you did know what the total score was. Like I knew what they had on primary and secondary, but I had to add them up in my head. They only focused on the two streaming tables. There were no updates throughout the, you know, what else is going on especially when we knew we had five or ten, you know, six key contenders. So it was really odd, the coverage. And um also felt like they're like missing a light somewhere. Like it was kind of dark uh, with some of the shots. So it was hard to follow along what was going on. And some of the pairings were weird, especially uh, mm-hmm. end of day one and early parts of day two. We were like, nice guys, you know, great armies. Why are we showing these matchups when there's these other matchups going on. So it was weird. That it was that was the only criticism we really had of the event was it was a time to shine and it just seemed to be I don't know whether they were expecting GW to spring their stuff and then didn't bring it at the last second or what happened, but it the one thing I will say that was really rewarding though was they had a lot of pre pre done packaging like you do for sports games. So when there's one thing that's always frustrating when you watch these uh, tournaments on stream, oh, we're going to lunch break now, you know, between rounds one and round two. We'll be back in an hour. See you then. And it's just dead air. They actually had all mm-hmm. these interviews with top players. You know, what was your first uh, ITC moment? What was your first impression of LVO? Uh, what do you do? You know, all these great questions. And it was like easily like 15 or 20. It was actually entertaining to watch. So while the players were getting a lunch break and you know, normally would have tuned out, I was watching, I was actually thoroughly entertained. I was like, this is kind of cool. And uh, hearing from these other players. Yeah. I, I was like, knowing all of that was going on. I, that I knew I wanted to be on stream. I knew I wasn't going to be on stream because I forgot to put in whatever, like, Oh, Oh, I volunteered to be on mm-hmm. stream. But at the same time, it's like, they're going to stream the important games. So they should stream the important games. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, so I was trying to, as our, you know, from our service, you know, was trying to keep people up to date round by round, you know, how the top 20 from the ITC was doing. So if you see that on our Facebook page, it was constantly being updated with each round. And as we were tracking, oh, oh this person trusted a loss and this person suffered a loss. And can this, and then there were a couple uh, key pairings. I mean, uh, Brad Chester, drew Mark Hurdle, who's so number three versus number 11, round one. And um, Brad narrowly escaped that first round. He could easily have been a first round loss. And uh, so a lot of real exciting games were going on. And uh, it was really fun to watch and a great end to the season. So any other thoughts? This is your first LVL. Any other parting thoughts before we wrap things up? Um, well, if I had if you end up going to LVO and you end up buying the package that includes both the main event and then the Sunday RTT, if you're going to go to the Sunday RTT, like in this case, the the Sunday event was using the new book and the new points and all this other stuff, bring 
it's going to sound really dumb, but bring a second army that you want to start the season with. Because I thought about going to the Sunday RTT, but I looked down my orcs. I'm like, this list is illegal for that mm. event. I'm going to go home. <laughs> yeah, I had mixed reactions with that. Um, I did play in the Sunday RTT last time I went, and I had a very negative experience. So I don't know. Um, and then we did the second time around was we said, screw it. And we had a leisurely lunch with the guys because what was a little, we guys can remember, oh, wait, we got to really applaud one thing. From what I can tell, there were no screw-ups with PCP this weekend. Yep, that was that was the overall joke with everyone. They expected BCP to crash round one, and we don't start round one until like one in the afternoon. Nope, we started round one on time, and we in fact started round two like 30 minutes early. So the great news to hear about that, because that severely disrupted uh, the last LVL. Uh, just eating dinner at 1130 at night, uh, trying to find restaurants that are still open, you know, plans to be out with friends, went out the window. So that's actually what we did Sunday for lunch. We're like, eh. And that was actually one of the best times we had. We, and then we just hanging out and finally got the chance to talk about the, the weekend. Yep. There was one moment where people thought it might go down, but that was from round five to round six, where it was taking a little bit longer to load the round five pairings than it did for the other rounds. Oh, round six pairings. So it was a... <laughs> okay, it made it. <laughs> so you're probably wondering, no, we do not. Um, we are well aware that yes, you just touched on it. The Mission pack for 2022 is out. It is uh, actually in my grubby little hands. And um, we will focus on that next week. We want to kind of wrap up with a nice bow on the 2021 season before we dive into the 2022 season. Obviously, some big changes. You've probably heard of some of them at this point. But as, as uh, Robert just mentioned, some lists are going to be uh, a little on the legal side. So there's some interesting changes across the board of different armies and how they play whether it be points values or the restriction on sub-actions. So we're really interesting to see. Plus also some of the secondaries are a little bit different. So see how the how new armies will play. So we will get into mm -hmm. that next week, hopefully with some special guests, but we're still lining that up. So um, look for that. And uh, But it was a great end to a really, you know, a really up and down season with COVID, but it really ended with one of the most exciting LVOs we've had in a very long time. Yep, and I know after finishing day two, I was sitting there, and I got funny looks from everyone and thinking about, huh, I wonder what's going to be competitively viable for next LVO. And everyone's just like, dude, why are you thinking so far ahead? I'm just like, let me do my thing, man. <laughs> so I'm going to do a little repeato question here. So if Games Workshop's doing six-month seasons, should the ITC switch to a six-month season? That's actually a really deep thought. I'll have to get back yeah. to you in maybe a week, a exactly. week and a half. Let us know what you guys think. Hit us up on our Facebook page. Should we switch to a six-month ITC season? Uh, tell you what, Overwatch does it. Apex Legends does it. Why not? So uh, what are your thoughts on that? And actually, we'll see six months from now. It is February, so we're looking at August. What's the, yeah, so basically your season one, so your first half, six, your finals would be Nova. And then you would play another six months and have LVO be your second season. And then repeat, Nova, LVO, Nova, LVO. Yeah, that would give me an excuse to finally go to Nova. Mm. Yeah, I hope they have it this year. Good God, they've been ravaged by uh, 
COVID. And interesting, they just sent out a, a uh, update. Their Nova is so big this year, it cannot be contained in a single hotel. They usually take over the entire convention space of the hotel. Now, now bleeding over into the hotel next door. <laughs> that that's gonna that'd be a headache for finding your table. Hey, your table number twenty-seven. Oh, I was I was table six hundred twelve. Gotta go over to the, the hotel. <laughs> Eric, I think you might have muted yourself. Yes, I did. Look at that professional podcaster. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the cool things about Nova is um, LVOs getting to that point. It's one thing. Yes, they have the forty k event. And then you walk over and they have all these other game systems and it's a big deal for them as well. It's not just like, yeah, we're going to demo some Star Wars Legion. It's like huge for all these other game systems and you're like, wow, this is a big deal. So I remember seeing the War Machine uh, tournaments there and um, probably the coolest thing I saw was last time I went to Nova, granted I'm dating myself here a little bit, was right when Force Awakens was due to come out. And they're doing the X-Wing demos. And I was like, oh, okay. And then they're getting ready for the X-Wing tournament. And the reason why they're doing the demos because they already had the ships from the upcoming movie. So I was like, That's yeah, so you could play with Poe Dameron before, like, who's Poe Dameron? They're like, oh, who the heck is this guy? And I remember looking at it. I was like, why is it a blue X-Wing? And I was like, oh, that's from the new movie. That's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, I know there was um, one game system that was in the vendor hall that actually looked really cool. It was called Conquest, I think. I forget who makes it, but it's, um, it's a rank and file fantasy mm-hmm. game. But the aesthetic is very like low, like low magic, dark fantasy kind of thing. It's the elves look really gnarly because they're they summon constructs to go fight for them instead of them actually fighting. Oh, that sounds really cool. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, and and the dwarves are like enslaved to dragons or something. Ooh. It was really gnarly. Wow. <laughs> the other uh, big demo I heard was um, Army Painter has come out with their answer to contrast called Speed Paint, and so far it's beginning rave reviews. Yes, and there's actually a fun bit with that. Um, the person that we might have on next week actually painted up an entire Sisters of Battle army in like three days using the speed paints. <laughs> so he's been on a few other shows. Give you an idea as a hint. If you could figure it out, tune in next week. So until then, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. Thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. <laughs>